Anza Borrego is the largest state park in California. I didn't realize that until I did a little bit of research. And, you know, it's a, let, let's just be honest. It's a desert. There's no other way around it. It, it isn't kind of like a desert. It's a desert. It's hot. It's dry. It's barren. But there's, a, there's an essential fascination, I guess you could even say beauty, about Anza Borrego as other desert landscapes. But this past year, as you know, we had in Temecula, we had over 18 inches of rain. That's about 10 inches more than is normal. Well, the deserts also got that rain, and something happened when the rain hit the deserts. And we would know that as our super bloom. And the deserts came alive. And if you got stuck in, in the traffic on the 15 between Corona and Temecula, I am sorry. Because I'm telling you, people went absolutely crazy stopping to watch and walk through the poppies. And it, but honestly, it was extraordinary. There's no way to describe how beautiful the super bloom was. With people from everywhere, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming to see it. But you know, when you think about this, you, look, you go back to that desert landscape. And the super bloom wasn't just in, uh, you know, Anza Bray. It was all through, you know, it was everywhere in Southern California. But what's interesting is you look at that desert landscape and you, at first glance, it looks dead, barren, dry, and desolate. And it's that, it's that word dead. It looks dead. But in reality, it's not dead. It's just dormant. It's just lying there dormant. In fact, what happens is the seeds lie just under the surface, and the wash of water in such a volume washes the protective coating off of the seeds. And then they sprout into this extraordinary, beautiful landscape. You see, what happens is the environment has to be just right. The environment was right, and when the environment was right, the explosion of life. Now, if we're honest with ourselves today, at some point we find ourselves in dry desolate, and in barren conditions. We have the tendency to life circumstances to overwhelm us. They, they take us down. They, they discourage us. They, they wear us out. Despair easily follows upon those life challenges. Hopelessness can certainly be an outcome of that. And all of these things, they can create this desolate and barren and dry existence. I read this, which I thought was a fascinating. It's an incredible quote. It just says, there's no greater disease than the loss of hope. When you get to a place where you just, you have no place to turn, hopelessness, despair, maybe this is exactly where you find yourself today. But I read from John S. Dickerson, he's one of my just kind of go-to authors. John wrote, he says, when we, become, when we finally become hopeless, we are ready to change, risk, and to try something new. Hopelessness often precedes true hope, change, and fearless resolve. If you're losing hope, if you have lost hope, or you're completely hopeless, I want to encourage you this morning. Hope is here. And hope is here in the person 
of Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus is alive, all that hope is and all that Jesus makes available is within our grasp. And our lives might feel like they are barren, they are dry, they are desolate. You may even feel so very dead. But all it takes is the right environment to come into life. And that environment, I believe, is here because Jesus is present. You see, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. So I would leave this verse with you today from the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18. You have a wonderful future ahead of you. There is hope for you yet. Let no one tell you there is no hope. Let no one tell you that things cannot change because they can. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything and it provides the right environment for life to blossom today. And it is my desire that today you walk from this place with hope renewed, despair gone, and longing and looking forward to the days that are ahead. We're going to spend a few moments this morning in a story out of Luke's account of the life of Christ. There are four different stories in the New Testament about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all written to different perspectives. They have many similarities and they also have some uniquenesses. This is a unique story to Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And it happens on the day of the resurrection. So I want you to look at it with me. Luke chapter 24 will be on the screens for, for you to follow along. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing? Together as you walk along, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas then asked, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets of all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him as he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned one, at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. This is a great story. And, you know, 
But there's one verse that I want to focus on for just a little while this morning, and it is verse 21. And it says, once again, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, this is a story. This is a story of questions, incomplete answers, aha moments, and great declarations. It's all about, it's all about what had been hoped for and lost and then regained. So for a few minutes, I want to talk about three observations. The first one is this. Life's realities can diminish our hope. Life's realities can diminish our hope. The characters of this story have a seven-mile walk. Now, if you do the math, if you walk at about three miles an hour, it's going to take you a while to get there. This is a a two-and-a-half-hour journey. This is a while, so they got a lot of time to talk. And they're talking, you you notice the text says it very clearly. They were talking about everything. They were trying to figure out, they were trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Now remember, they said, we put our hope in this guy. What is going on? They're asking all kinds of questions. And they just can't seem to get a handle on the moment. You know, our lives are much like that. We have questions that hit us all the time. And, and it's interesting, Jesus, I, I kind of I like to think it this way. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe eternity will bear this out, but here's the way I, it's like he snuck up on them. They're walking along, having a good conversation, and all of a sudden, Jesus is right there with them. The other day, Marcy and I had to go to a hotel for, there, there's some things going on in our house, so they, were, they put us up in a hotel for a night. All that to say, got in the elevator. <laughs> It was hilarious. I got to tell you, it was hilarious. I walked in the elevator, and she, she was ahead of me, and she walked real quick and got to the corner to push the button to go to our floor. This is one of those hotel elevators that has the double doors. It has one on this side and one on the other side. When she turned, this door opened, and one of the housekeepers walked in right behind her. She didn't know that she was there. So she presses the button and then turn around. She turns around and she goes, ah, just started. It was like this little gal just snuck up on her all this I, I lost it. I was having the great, because I saw everything going on. It was funny, extremely funny. It was like this gal just appeared out of nowhere, and there she was. It's kind of the way Jesus, they were walking along, having a great car. All of a sudden, there's Jesus. And then he began, he asked, I love the questions. He says, what are you guys talking about? They said, what? It says they were, their faces were down. It's like they dropped and went, Huh? What, what are we talking about? Are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? Questions. Questions. Here, here is a truth. Life is filled with questions. You know, in fact, I think sometimes this is the best way that we can describe life. For those of you who are artists, please give me some love right here. That's about the best I can do. I'm not an artist. But I think we all know what that is, don't we? This kind of looks like life to us. Everything's a question. Went to the doctor the other day. What's going to happen? Are we going to be able to make ends meet? Job's running out. Does God really care about me? 
I'm so lonely. Is there anybody? Is there anybody for me? Can my daughter really change? Is there any hope for her? You could add your own question to that. But can we be honest? Life is filled with questions. We don't know where to turn. And, and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones. We don't know what's going on. It feels like everybody else has got it together. Look at their life. They're, everything is so good. Look at my life. And you just say, God, I don't get it. What about me? What about me? Do you love me? Do you care about me? Do I have any hope for my future? We all ask questions. Some of them are small, and that's okay. But some of them are life-altering. And we, don't, and we don't know where to turn. And you see, these questions... These questions can, well, let, me, let me say it this way. The enemy of our soul will use questions to cast doubt upon the truth that is present in this room this morning. The truth this morning is, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And there is hope in Christ. And the enemy of our soul will do all that he can to cast doubt to that truth. He will tell you that God cannot do anything about your situation. God does not care about you. There is no one for you. And I want to tell you something. That is a tactic as old as time itself. The adversary, the enemy of our soul said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? The enemy is still doing the same thing. It is the same tactic today as it has always been, he will cast doubt upon anything to keep us away from experiencing the hope that is in Christ. He will tell us God cannot intervene on our behalf. He will do this with relentless frequency. He will do his best to convince us that there is no hope. But that's not what God desires for us. Second observation is that information alone isn't enough to sustain hope. It's fascinating to me in this conversation that Jesus is having, and the guys, they, they have an understanding a little bit. They have a three-and-a-year history. They've been walking with Jesus. In fact, just a little factoid over here. Some believe that these two disciples were husband and wife, that it was Cleopas and his wife that were walking back and they were strolling between Jerusalem and Emmaus. Whether that's, we're not actually sure if that is, the, that is the case, but it is an interesting thought that a husband and wife is, are talking, and they've got this three-and-a-half-year history of Jesus, and they, they've got these last three days. They're, they're trying to put it all together. And so when Jesus asked this question, what things? What things? They, from their information on hand, begin to share what it is. And you see, they say this, he was a prophet powerful in word and in deed. So you see they have information, don't they? 
They have information. But remember what verse 21 says. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. The information wasn't enough. It just didn't come to the, it didn't register with them. They couldn't put their arms around the situation. They could find no answers here. Information was not enough. In the 1970s, we came into what was called the information age. Now, we're about 50 years into it. Still continues by some, by some individual's definition. In fact, I found an article in Forbes magazine from earlier this year. I think it was January of 2019. Written by a man by the name of Brian Bai. Now, I, I want to be really, really conscientious for Brian's sake. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It's B-I, so I'm going to say Bai. I don't think it's Brian B, and I don't think it's Brian whatever. I, I think it's Bai, so that's where I'm going. But I want to honor him. He is a software engineer for Google, and he was writing about the, the uniqueness of the information age. And he says this, he believes that we are in a transition from the information age to this. Now, this is really incredible to me, to an age of reckoning, from an information age to an age of reckoning. And let me just read you a small excerpt. He says, in the industrial age and the information age, there was a widespread optimism that technology would eventually solve all of our problems. Think about that for a moment. Don't you just love your smartphone when it works? And don't you just hate it when it doesn't? Technology is going to solve all of our problems. It's been slowly dawning on us, more technology by itself cannot be the solution. While technology has certainly lifted many humans out of poverty and enriched our lives in many ways, it has also made the world increasingly complex and difficult to navigate. The internet has enabled new modes of social interaction, despite the fact that we are supposed to be more connected than ever before. Many people are lonely and starved for genuine positive human attention. Now, this is a software engineer for Google. Listen to what he's saying. And then he adds this last sentence. We have to admit that we simply don't know how to solve this problem right now, but at any rate, it's obvious we can't rely on technology to be our savior. You can interchange that word. We cannot rely upon information to be our Savior. You may know about Jesus. You may know about the cross. That there was a guy some centuries ago that died on a cross. You may wear a cross and have no complete understanding of what that means. You may even know about Easter that this is like Resurrection Sunday, I, I think. But I don't even know what resurrection. I, I kind of know. You may have information. But information by itself isn't enough. Information by itself is not enough. In fact, Jesus had a similar encounter. John chapter 5 and verse number 39, he was having a conversation with some religious leaders, and he said this, you search the Scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You don't, Stop. Information. You search the scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life. Information. But Jesus adds, but the scriptures point to me. There's more. There's more. The religious guys were all about information, but they overlooked. They couldn't or they wouldn't recognize the path to full and abundant life. And it was standing right in front of them. 
Even this morning, you may have information about Jesus, about Easter. But the truth is, information alone is not enough. Third observation. Hope awakens with the certainty of the resurrection. Hope awakens the certainty of the resurrection. Now, I've mentioned this in times past, but I believe it bears repeating. I detest riddles. Do not send me one. I will trash it. I'm just I'm telling, look, I'm getting out in front of this thing. I will trash it. I don't like them, and I'm going to tell you why I don't like them, because I don't get them. If I don't get it, why am I going to spend any time with it? What a waste of time. Now, this, I have a little history here. There's a backstory. When I was, when I was a younger, I'll say it that way, when I was younger, there was a very familiar riddle. You may, you may know this riddle. <laughs> what is black and white and red all over? Now, the answer is a newspaper. Okay, great. Now, when I was like 10 years old, I don't think I ever saw that riddle ever written out. I heard it. So I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I see a newspaper. I deliver newspapers for everything. And there's never any red on it. Come on, give me some love here, folks. Give me some love. So, and some of you right now went, oh, that's what that riddle means? That's what happened to me. But I was like 45 years old when that happened. Now, that's about as embarrassing as it can possibly be. I am a grown man. I have three, I have three children, and I'm finally figuring out a riddle I should have figured out when I was like nine. It was a body, it was an aha moment. That's what happened to these guys. When they asked the questions of Jesus, he begins to explain to them the scriptures. I love this. He said, from, from Moses and the prophets, he gave them a study of the Old Testament and how those scriptures, like Isaiah 53, would say, surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. He was despised and he was rejected. And by his wounds, you're healed. And he's saying, that's the Christ. They're going, we, we never saw. And he said, these are the things that had to happen. And then he sits down with them and he breaks bread. And then it happens. He vanishes and they go, oh, that was Jesus. So they get up and they take another two and a half hours back to Jerusalem. Think about it. They didn't have to get in the car and be there in 15 minutes. They had to walk. But I have a feeling they were running because something had happened. They made a declaration when they got back to Jerusalem. It is true. Jesus is alive. Something happened. Their hope was awakened. What they had said they had lost what they said, there's no possibility it could happen. I don't get it. He was, a, he was a prophet and strong in word and deed, but he's gone. We had pinned our hopes on him. But it's awakened because of the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive. Hope can awaken in you. It's a certainty this morning that Jesus lives. I love the fact that I want to say this phrase again. I love this phrase. 
the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You see, hope is more than sentiment, more than a notion, more than, more than feeling that what is wanted can be had, it is, or that events will turn out for the best. It is not something making untrue promises. It's not a guarantee of an outcome that is invented by any man or woman. It is not a fantasy or an illusion or make-believe invention. Understand, once again, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 is a verse we often use at Christmas, but we're going to use it on Easter Sunday. And it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I want you to know this morning, if you're in a place of despair, hopelessness, dry and barren and dead, I want you to know that this environment is right because hope has a name. Hope is here. His name is Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the everlasting Father. And everything that has ripped and stripped the hope from your life can be restored this morning. Hope can awaken because of the risen Savior. Hallelujah. Don't miss it. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know how barren it may feel. How lonely you are. But what I do know is that when we embrace the risen Savior and the truth of what Easter is all about, this question mark disappears and something else appears. And it looks a little bit like this. It's an exclamation point. It says, hope is here. And there is a possibility. There is something that can awaken in your life. Hope says, I'm going to be okay. Hope says that there is a tomorrow. Hope says that I am the God who heals you. Hope says that I am the God who saves you. Hope says I am the God that delivers you. Hope says that you are free. Hope says that you are loved. Hope is here. Here in his name is Jesus. Hope says that if you are in a place of sin and away from God, I want you to know Jesus saves us completely. Hope is here and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You see, because Jesus is alive, the unprecedented wisdom, his overwhelming power, his eternal concern as a perfect father and his perfect peace that transcends all understanding is available to us as we put our faith in him. You see, we are not asked, and I am not asking you to believe the doctrine of the resurrection, but we are asked to meet the person who was raised from the dead. I want you to catch the power of that. It is not about the doctrine of the resurrection. No, it is about meeting the person who God raised from the dead. You put your hope in him, your hope will never fade. It is a hope that is an anchor for your life. It is a hope that will last for this life and for eternity. Regardless of how barren, desolate, and dry your life may be, hope is here. His name is Jesus. Those amazing pictures of the super bloom are just, they're, they're beyond, they're beyond, they're just beyond beautiful. I don't know how many pictures I've viewed over the last few weeks as I was preparing for today. It's just beyond beautiful. 
And what is so extraordinary to me, as I think through it, the environment was so dry and so dead, but the environment became just right for an explosion of life. And I believe the same is true this morning. That the environment is just right for an explosion of life and life abundant because of the risen Savior and because of this truth. Jesus brings to life all areas of our mortal life. There's no area that remains dry. There's no area that remains dead or barren or desolate. Paul said the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And if, I, if this morning you don't know Christ, you can invite this same risen Savior into your life. And when that happens, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. This can be the moment when everything changes. This can be the moment when the dead areas of your life can come to life. This can be the moment when hope replaces despair. This can be the moment when hope becomes eternal. This can be the moment that hope becomes a reality in a person, and his name is Jesus. Father, I pray in these next few moments, you will do something only you can do. I pray, Lord, that there will be an explosion of life in this place. And that, Lord, you, because you're here and because you're alive, you'll do something that only you can do. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.